Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to be able to be here with you today to celebrate our mums and to worship our God, who I think is pretty darn fantastic. So thanks for coming today. It's great to be with you. Uh, Look, just a show of hands. I'm always interested in these sorts of things. Uh, Who of you here, if you can just raise your hand, uh, had a mum or actually has a mum? Can I just see a show of hands at all? Yep, darn, that's just about everybody. The the six of you that didn't raise your hands, I want to hear your story. It's funny, a lot of people I talk to, they all seem to have had a mum or have a mum. It's really something that's really trending and, you know, I actually had a mum, believe it or not, I had a mum too. My mum was super mum. She was super mum because she raised 14 children. And I'm the youngest. And I know what you're immediately thinking, if he's the youngest, the oldest is what, like 200 or something, right? But I'm the baby of the family, I'm the spoilt one of the family. And our mum just did a fantastic job raising 14 kids like the Brady Bunch on steroids. Can you imagine that? What I'm most thankful to my mum about is what she taught me in life. She taught me a lot of lessons. She taught me lessons about anticipation. Because she'd say something like, just wait until your father gets home. And she taught me about logic. If you fall off that swing and break your neck, you're not coming shopping with me. She taught me about medical science. You better stop pulling those funny faces because I tell you when the wind changes, it's going to stay that way. She taught me about ESP, extrasensory perception. Don't you think I know when it's cold outside? Don't you think I know you need a jacket? She also taught me about mental health. Stop making all of that racket. You're going to drive me crazy. And she taught me about the importance of flexibility. Flexibility. Look at me when I talk to you. Don't look at me like that when I talk to you. Run in the house and get my purse. Don't run in the house. It's important to be flexible. So I loved my mum. I miss her terribly. But I'm so thankful for her and the superb job that she did in raising us as a family and bringing us together. And it's important for us to remember her on a day like today, even though she's not with us anymore. So well done, mums. We want to celebrate you today and thank you for all that you do for your kids. We're going to have a look at a passage this morning, and you can turn to it on whatever device you use these days, with a phone, tablet, an actual Bible, to a very ancient Old Testament book called 1 Samuel. And we're going to take a look at the first chapter. And this uh, event that we're going to look at involves a lady by the name of Hannah. And she was a, a really special lady, and we're going to take a little look at a, a little window into her life today. And see what we can learn from her. And I think being Mother's Day, it's appropriate that we have a message that's directed to the ladies today. But guys, that doesn't mean you can tune out, right? 
because there is so much about henna that all of us can learn, whether we're males or females. There's so much from her life that we can take away with us today. What is it that makes a woman of real substance? What is it that causes people to say when they think of a certain lady and they think, man, holy cow, that is one awesome lady. What are the things that uh, are going to cause you as a lady to be remembered in life well after you're gone? What are the things that make for a woman of real substance? It could be that you're just an awesome mum. It could be that you've blazed a trail in the boardroom and you've gone toe-to-toe with the best in the corporate world. It could be that you've uh, given your life in working for the betterment of others in the community. Or it could be that you've really cracked it in the sporting world. There's some things that would cause you to be remembered well after you're gone and that people would look at and say, wow, what a woman. But what about those ladies who haven't had the opportunity to do any of those things? What about those ladies? Well, that's what I like about Henna. Because in this little window in her life that we get this morning, there's a real powerful message about the things that make for a truly remarkable woman. And it really has little to do with going 10 rounds with the best in the boardroom. It really has little to do with blazing a trail or making a mark or even being a good mum. You see, a woman of real substance is not so much found in what a lady does, but really in who she is, in who she is. A woman of real substance finds her true identity in terms of her relationship with God and in terms of her life lived for God. That's the key. And that's within reach of every lady in this room. And it doesn't matter what your situation in life is, you can know God and you can live for God. And in the course of doing that, you can become and be a woman of real substance. Well, let's have a little read together as we look at this window into Hannah's life. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Rama in the region of Zulf, in the hill country of Ephraim. That's a mouthful for you, isn't it? Imagine putting that on an envelope. Elkanah had two wives. Now, this is an ancient time. Now, it seems a little weird for us today that a man would have two wives, but way back thousands of years ago, it was common for a man to have more than one wife, and in Elkanah's case, he had two. He had two wives. Hannah, which is the lady that we'll be considering today, and Peninnah. Now, Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. And each year Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle there at Shiloh. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. And so Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having kids. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. 
Now check out Elkanah's awesome response. I love this. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's such a male thing. Sorry, gentlemen, but honestly. Well, the first thing I want us to notice about this lady, Hannah, was that she was a woman of genuine spirituality. And the first thing we notice about Hannah is that she was faithful in worship. She was faithful in worship. Most commentators of the Bible agree that this particular feast that was referred to in the passage that we read was the Feast of Tabernacles. And that was a special occasion when the people of God would come together, especially at the temple there, and they would celebrate God's goodness and they would celebrate God's blessings. They would remember God's presence and care for his people as they wandered throughout the wilderness for 40 years and they would celebrate the blessings of God for his, uh, his um, fruitfulness in the year's harvest that they had just brought in. So it was a real time of celebration. It was a real time of thanksgiving. Now it's important to remember that the ladies were not obligated to go up for this feast, for this celebration. And if there was a person who had every reason not to go, you would think it was Hannah you would think that she would be able to excuse herself from going there because, look, let's face it, Hannah didn't really have a lot to celebrate. We're told that Hannah had no children. She had little to thank God for. Now, we need to remember back in that day, if you didn't have kids, there was something radically wrong with you. There was something wrong with you because God had withheld his blessing or God might even be punishing you for something that you did wrong. And in a very religious society, that was quite a mark to have to carry around on you. So it seems to me that Hannah could be excused for going to worship God and to give thanks to God because God had really overlooked her and bypassed her. And of course, every year, good old Penina, what a piece of work, would shove the boot in. And just remind Hannah of her situation in life and her status in life and to make life as difficult for her as she possibly could. Just to rub a bit of salt into the wound, you know? You see, it seems to me that everything about Hannah's life seemed to be wrong. She was cursed from above and obviously disliked below if Penina was anything to go on. And yet I find it incredible that we read that year after year, Hannah made that long journey, not just to be with her husband, not just to be with the other family members, but she made that long journey to worship. To be in the presence of God is symbolized there in the tabernacle, in the temple, and to worship him for his goodness, no less for his goodness, because that's what that feast was all about. It was all about celebrating the goodness of God. This is an outstanding quality in Hannah that I find truly remarkable, is that she was no fair-weather follower of God. She didn't just follow God in the good times, she followed God all the time. And she worshipped God, even though her life was tough, 
even though she was really sad and there was something missing. She still made the time to do that very public act of worshipping God in that community way. I wonder if that's true for us. I wonder if we take stock of our lives and there are times when there is this nagging sense that maybe life is starting to pass us by or life is not going the way it should go or something has punctuated our life that's just sucked the oxygen from us. And I wonder, at those times, are we able to worship God? Not cry out to God in our need, but to worship him and to let him know that we love him and that he's pretty darn fantastic. That's a challenge. But that's something that we find active in the life of Hannah. So let me ask, when the chips are down, where do you go? And to whom do you turn? The other thing that we noticed about Hannah is that she was not only faithful in worship, but she was also faithful in prayer. Let's uh, read on a little bit. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorstep of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Eli the priest thought she was drunk. What is it with the guys in this passage? They're just not getting it, are they? <laughs> We've got Elkanah with his helpful advice. We've got Eli thinking, man, this lady's just off her face. But Hannah said to Eli, I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And so Hannah was not just faithful in worship, she was faithful in prayer. She was a woman of prayer. And the first thing we notice about her prayer is that it was passionate. As we read that little passage together, it seemed to me that when Hannah came before the Lord in prayer, she didn't hold anything back. She just let it all out in her deep anguish, she says, and great sorrow. She laid it all out before God. She opened herself in front of him and shared with him the depths of her feelings. You know, we tend to take a position, I guess if you're a bit of a blokey bloke, that to show your emotions is a sign of weakness. And to show your emotions before God when you're feeling a little like Hannah is actually a sign of weak faith. But somehow we'd be letting the side down if we did something like that, and somehow we'd be disappointing God. But I want you to know, we can parade around in the public sphere of life and we can look a picture of happiness where all is well and all is perfect, and we can fool people, but you know what, you just can't fool God. Because God, being the infinite creator of all, knows all and knows your heart. You can't fool God, so you might as well be honest with God, right? It's not like you're going to take him by surprise or anything. He knows how you feel. Get it out there and talk to him about it. Share it with him. If you are feeling like perhaps life has passed you by, maybe life has passed you over, let me encourage you to be honest to God about that. 
and share it with him. Look, I love this verse in 1 Peter. If you ever get your hands on a paraphrase called the J.B. Phillips paraphrase of the New Testament, I highly recommend you do it. It's great. And I love the way J.B. Phillips handles this passage in 1 Peter. He says, Humble yourselves under God's strong hand, and in his own good time, he will lift you up. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him. And this is the part that I love. I love it. Listen to what he says. For you are his personal concern. For you are his personal concern. I love that. The awesome living creator God, who we are told in the pages of the Bible, holds the infinite universe in the very palm of his hand. This is the God who says to you, you are my personal concern. I love that. If you're a bit like me, given to anxiety, I've had my 42 cups of water and my 52 bathroom breaks before this morning. If you're a bit like me and you lay awake at night because you're wondering, oh man, what I said to that person, oh, how could I have said that? What's going on? I am such an idiot. You know what? That truth that I am God's personal concern has carried me through 38 years of life. No, 56 years of life. (laughs) But we'll go with 38. It's carried me through that. The other thing about her prayer was it was persistent. In verse 12, we're told that she kept on praying. We get the idea from the passage that we read this morning that every year that she went to Shiloh, she made this a matter of prayer. And we don't know how many years she went, but we get the feeling it was a lot of years, right? Hannah's prayer was persistent. She kept on praying. But I fear too often, if you're like me, you sort of do a whiz-bang prayer as you rush out the door. And then you just think everything's going to be all right. But the reality is a prayer a day doesn't always make the issues go away. Sometimes we have to wrestle with God. We have to be persistent in the presence of God. And when was the last time that we stayed waiting? That we stayed wrestling? That we stayed there before God? under the weight of what we brought before him. Everything is so instant today. I get anxious when I don't get my your product has been shipped email five hours after I've hit the order now button and then I check the tracking about 42 times a day because I want to know where it's coming and I want to know when I'm going to get it. Our whole life is driven by instant every instant water. Just add water. And there you go. Instant everything now for everything. But prayer doesn't always work that way. And life with God doesn't always work that way. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to wrestle. Sometimes we have to be there and hang in there with God. You see, the greater challenge of faith, for me personally anyway, is not just bringing our burdens before God, but waiting on God. And that, for me, can be a bit of a task. 
The next thing we notice about Hannah is that she is a woman of faith. And this is one point that we kind of overlook because it's only mentioned very briefly in the passage that we are dealing with this morning. Tucked away in verse 18, we read these words. After Hannah had prayed, she went back and began to eat and she was no longer sad. Well, having wrestled in prayer to God about the things that troubled her, what she did was she made sure she left that burden with God. And that's the tricky bit. Leaving the burden with God. Leaving them in his hands and waiting on him for the outcome. Outwardly, Hannah's circumstances hadn't changed. But inwardly, there'd been a transformation. There'd been a radical change. There was a sense of freedom and peace and assurance that God truly knew her situation and God had heard about her situation and God would deal with her situation. There was an exchange that had taken place. It's the exchange the Apostle Paul talks about in the New Testament book of Philippians when he's dealing with this issue of anxiety. It says, don't worry over anything, but tell God everything. Tell him the detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. And the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will keep constant guard over your hearts and minds as they rest in Jesus. Hannah's enormous burden had been exchanged for the enormity of God's peace. Having wrestled before God in prayer, she then rested in God in peace. And man, if I could master that in my own life, I tell you, life would just be terrific. Because sadly, too often, I lay my burdens before God. I'm honest about my burdens before God. And then I pack up my burdens, take off, and say, see you next time. Do you guys do anything like that, or am I just the only smoking train wreck when it comes to the Christian life? Oh man, look, if we could master that, tr- that particular truth, I think my life would be so much better, and I would save so much more money on that antacid you take when you're feeling anxious. That never tastes any good. Don't believe what the ads say. They're all terrible. The last thing, oh no, the third thing that we notice is that Hannah was a woman of self-restraint. Let's have a look at verses 6 and 7 together. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her for having children. Year after year it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. I had the joy of having to replace the hot water thing at home a couple of years ago. Has anyone ever had to do that, replace their hot water system at home? I mean, second mortgage, I'm telling you. These things cost a ton of money. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I don't know, five, six hundred bucks, a couple of hundred bucks labour. Nineteen hundred dollars later, we've got a new water system. Now, what I'm told 
about our water system is that it has a safety release valve in it, see? And what happens is if there's a problem inside the hot water system and the pressure becomes too much, it trips that valve and it stops the hot water system from going nuclear and exploding. Well, that's what happened to ours. Because our thing had tripped, there was obviously a problem inside, it's no good, it had to be replaced. It's got that pressure release valve to release all that built-up pressure. Now, let's face it. We have a pressure release valve, don't we? Well, I do. And when that pressure builds up inside, away she goes. And woe betide anyone within at least a 30-mile radius of us, right? Because we let the people around us have it when the pressure gets built up too much. That pressure release valve kicks in and out all the pressure comes. And it's funny how we tend to be like that more with the people close to us, right? They tend to be the people that know us at our worst. What I like about Hannah is that you could forgive her if there was a little footnote in the passage of the text that we read where it said, Hannah hauled off and hooked Panina one right in the face. Because I feel like doing that to Panina. And I'm not even involved in the story. It's like thousands of years ago. But what I appreciate about Hannah is that we don't see that she does anything like that. She gets upset. No, of course, you'd be upset about something like that. But we don't see her rolling around with Panina in a headlock because she's just taken too much from her. It reminds me a lot of Jesus, who we're told in the book of 1 Peter, who though he was treated so badly, he restrained himself and did not counterattack. Boy. That's a tough call. I wonder if we could take a leaf out of Hannah's book and vent our fury about our paninas, the paninas in our life, to God. Almost let God have it. Why? Because you are his personal concern. And he is a great place to go when you've had enough. And you can just lay it out there and be honest before God. And trust him for the outcome. The last thing about Hannah is that she was a woman of integrity. A woman of integrity. I'm old enough to have actually gone to see the Mary Poppins movie when it first came out. Could you believe it? It was in colour and sound. Amazing. Right? Now, not any of this remake rubbish. The actual one with Julie Andrews. The original. And in one of the scenes in Mary Poppins, because she hangs out with these kids, right? It's bedtime. And Jane, one of the girls, says, Mary, you won't ever leave us, will you? And Mary Poppins replies, well, and before she could do that, Peter, who's totally wired of the events of the day, chips in and says, will you stay if we promise to be good? 
And so Mary, being the fount of all wisdom, looks at the kids and says, well, that would be a pie crust promise. Easily made and very easily broken. All of us have made pie crust promises in the past, haven't we? We make promises for all sorts of reasons. We make promises to our kids. Now, none of the mums here do this because you're all fantastic mothers. But I've heard my, overheard my wife every now and again just slip a little promise in just to get the kids off her back. We make promises in the workplace because we don't want to get into trouble. Promises are very easy to make, but boy, they're a bit hairy to keep at times, aren't they? bit curly, a little bit hard to keep. And I have lost count of the number of promises that I've broken in my life. And that's why Jesus warns us against making promises, period. He says, look, when you go through life, guys, just say yes or no. Don't go making promises because you know you're not going to be able to keep them. Don't swear any oaths on anybody's head. Don't swear any oaths on God. Just keep it simple. Because he knows that we're pretty useless when it comes to keeping promises. Classic example, the Apostle Peter. You can read all about that in the Gospels. It almost seems to us that Hannah is so overcome with the situation of her life that she has given in to the temptation of making what sounds like a pie-crust promise. Have a listen to what she says to God. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. Oh-oh. She made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, here it is, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. What a promise to make. So basically what she's saying is, I don't have any kids. I really want to have kids. God, give me a son, and then I'll give him straight back to you. A pie crust promise in the making right there. Could you imagine, mums, having welcomed your little child into the world only to turn around and leave that child in the hands of the staff at the tabernacle, at the um, place that they were going to worship. Could you imagine doing that to your own kids? I wouldn't survive something like that personally. I mean, my kids drive me crazy and frustrate me like you wouldn't believe sometimes, but I'd never be without them. I'd never be without him. But for Hannah to turn around and say, look, if you give me this son, I'm going to give him straight back to you and he's going to live here in the temple and I'm going to live how many thousands of miles away? But that's what I'm going to do. So we read, in due time she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel for she said, I asked the Lord for him. So that's what Samuel means, I guess. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their, spiritual, on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But this time, Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, wait until the boy's weaned, and then I'll take him to the tabernacle and get this, and I will leave him there with the Lord permanently. 
when the child was weaned. Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought the boy to Eli the priest. Sir, do you remember me, Hannah asked. I'm the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord and I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he's granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. Oh man. King David asks in Psalm 15, Who may stand in God's temple or live in the holy mountain of the Lord? And among the virtues he lists of those who have a shot at doing that is this one. The one who keeps his oath even when it hurts. And talk about painful promises. A mother leaving her two or three year old little boy there at the temple, returning home, knowing that that little boy is going to be there his whole life and she'll only see him once a year, just once a year. It must have seemed like an unbearable loss for Hannah. But here's the thing. You cannot, you cannot outgive God. You just can't do it. We read further in chapter 2 that each year... His mother made Samuel a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. And Eli the priest would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And then they would go home. And listen to this. The Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. She gave one son to God. He gave three sons and two daughters back to Hannah. And that one son that she gave to God, Samuel, would go on to perhaps to be the greatest of all God's prophets. So great that he has two Old Testament books uh, chronicling his life, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And you can read about the adventures of Samuel as he served as both priest and prophet among the people of God. The thing is this, some things that God asks us to do can be hard, but I want you to remember no matter what we sacrifice for him, that God has a fantastic way of bringing back into our lives in ways that we can never imagine. Now, I'm not saying rush out there and put $500 in the offering button here at Creekside expecting to get 5000 bucks back at the end of the week. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is as a general biblical principle that I've experienced in my life, and I'm sure some of you have, that if we're going to sacrifice stuff for God, and if we're going to do that with the right motives and the right intentions, it is amazing, amazing how God can bring things into our lives 
as a result. And although, although at the time it seemed so hard, we can look back and say, man, I'm glad I did that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I made that choice. I'm so glad I made that decision. Because it was the right thing to do. And now look at what God has done for me. This story about this remarkable woman takes on a new significance, in a lot, especially when we consider that this event took place at a time in the life of God's people when we're told that every person just did what was right in their own eyes and the word of the Lord was very, very rare. This was a time of spiritual darkness among the nation of Israel, and yet we see this beautiful little light shining in the life of this lady, Hannah, who was a woman of true substance, who was blazing a bright trail, who was leaving a mark, who was doing her bit for God. She was living a faith that was courageous. And she has been remembered forever in the pages of the Holy Bible for us to learn a little bit from her. And so I encourage you today, guys, ladies, boys, girls, have a think about this lady Hannah and seek to replicate some of these qualities. And it's going to be so exciting to see that as you increasingly do that, for those around you to witness the trail that you blaze and the mark that you make, and to be able to look at you and think, man, that's really some lady. What a woman. And man. Let's pray. Father, thanks uh, for today, a special day when we want to honour our mums. And we thank you that we've been able to worship and celebrate you. Thank you that you are a good God. And we live in a world that is pretty messed up. And we ourselves are a bit of a mess. But we thank you that your mercy and your grace and your faithfulness and your concern and the depths of your love know no limits because of what you've done for us in Jesus. And so it's in his name we want to walk from this place and we want to do so thinking about Hannah and these four traits and we want to ask for your help to start in a new and fresh way to live out these traits in our own lives so that we might become closer and draw closer to you, that we might know more of you and that we might love you more and trust you more. So help us in our weakness. Be our strength. Be our peace. Be our joy, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name.